Matthew chapter number 21 this morning. Matthew chapter number 21. What a blessing it is to be with you uh, this morning. I'm thankful that you're here. I trust that you're here by providence. I know that you are. You're not here by accident. You're here by providence. And I believe if we approach this day like that, like the Lord has something for us, I believe God will have something for us. Amen? The Lord's never empty-handed. And I trust if you'll have your heart open to the truth of the Word of God that God will speak to you. Matthew chapter number 21. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 23. We do have a little bit of reading to do this morning. We'll read to the end of the chapter. And I appreciate your patience, but with the Lord's help, we'll use every bit of it. Matthew chapter number 21. Verse number 23, the Word of God says that when He, when Jesus, was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto Him as He was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven? Or of men. And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbands? They say unto Him he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We do thank you for this another day, another opportunity, another sunset that we, or sunrise that we've seen, and Father, another, another uh, opportunity to live for you, to deal with you, to labor for you. 
Lord, there are some today under the sound of my voice undoubtedly in need. Uh, they have need to hear from you, to hear from heaven, have need of your, your influence and your authority in their lives. And I pray that today the Word of God would arrest their attention. I pray that the Spirit of God would arrest their will. And Lord, that they would be brought into a closer walk with Thee. If there's any under the sound of my voice lost and undone, I pray that today would be the last uh, day that they would have ever been lost, that they would believe on Christ and be everlasting saved, enter into eternal life. Lord, we'll be sure to thank you for whatever transpires. Now, bless your people, bless your children, bless your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last Sunday morning, by the Lord's help, we began a little short series of thoughts concerning some of the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We began to trail through Scripture several occasions where the Lord Jesus did something phenomenal. He would be approached most often by his enemies, and they would attempt to catch him in his words. They would attempt to trip him up, to make him look foolish, or to discredit him with the people. And they would oftentimes ask him a question to which they believed there was no real answer, or no easy answer. And the Lord Jesus would do something phenomenal. He would take what they had said, and he would transcend that discussion, that conversation, above what they had asked and use that particular conversation to reveal something about them and to reveal something about the Word of God. And so we walked through Scripture. We found about 18, 19 of these occasions. Don't get nervous. We're not going to look at all of them. Uh, In fact, we're just going to look at one of them this morning. But last Sunday morning, we looked at the conversation about tribute that the Lord Jesus had. They asked, uh, is it lawful to pay tribute? We saw how the Lord took that and used it to teach them about their responsibility to God as their maker. And we preached on a transcendental truth about tribute. Well, by the Lord's help this morning, I want us to look at the passage that we have in front of us. And really, if we were to use one word to sum up what this passage is about, I think we could faithfully use the word authority. This passage begins by them asking the Lord, by what authority do you do these things? The Lord replies and says, by what authority did John do what he did? They said, well, we cannot tell. He said, then I don't have to tell you what authority I do, what I do by. And then he went on to give three distinct narrative stories, two of them parables and one merely a a declaration of biblical truth uh, concerning this idea of authority. So if the Lord will help us this morning, I want to preach on a transcendental truth about Authority, what authority is, what it means, what it means in our life, and what authority we need to hold to. Can I tell you something? Authority is a way of life. We can try to buck the concept of authority. Hollywood's made a lot of money out of, out of presenting to us the romantic loner, the, the figure that bucks all authority and uh, the figure that is lawless in his behavior and characteristics. But you learn real quick in life that authority is a way of life. I remember being a teenager and thinking, I can't wait to get out of school and get out of my parents' house. Won't have any authority. Did the devil feed you that lie too? What you learn is, is when you get, they might have put you in detention in school. They'll put you in jail in real life. Amen. I, listen, my, my parents might have expected chores out of me, but my, my debt collectors take my house if I let them. Amen. Authority is just a way of life. 
And here the Lord Jesus teaches us some things about it. Now, first, let me describe to you very quickly what a transcendental truth is so you have an idea of what's going on here. When the Lord Jesus gave a transcendental truth, and I'll admit to you that's a phrase that I've come up with, but it seems pretty descriptive of what He's doing. He would do three things. One, He would elevate the conversation. So they'd ask a question... And he'd give them an answer, but that answer would be higher than their question. It would be deeper than their question. It would be broader than the issue. He would elevate that conversation. Two, he would expound a deep truth, something they had not considered. And he'd reveal something about themselves and about God that they needed to know. And thirdly, most of the time, he would use this to expose his enemies. He'd reveal their heart and why exactly they did that. Well, here in the passage that we've read, the Bible says in verse 23, when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Let me say a word this morning about the principle of authority as it's revealed in this passage. The reason they asked the Lord Jesus this is because it was not uncommon for teachers to stand up or to walk about or to sit down in the temple or in the synagogues and begin to expound truth and and proclaim truth. But most of the time, the people that would do this would be considered credible and respected in society. Often they would have been raised in the rabbinical teachings and traditions. But this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he was not raised to be a priest. He was not raised to be a rabbi. He was the son of a carpenter. And they're basically asking this, who do you think you are to tell us the things that you're telling us? They were not just inquiring about his authority, they were directly challenging his authority. I'd like for you to notice something that they revealed here about themselves. See, to them, authority was a fundamental of life. It's funny how many people like to proclaim that they uh, don't allow anyone to tell them what to do. You ever heard anyone say that? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And yet life is a course. It is a series of us bending beneath or bucking against various authorities. We accept the authority, at least I hope you do, of of the government above us, of the law that governs us. We accept the authority of our loved ones and our family members in in our life. I'll tell you this, you can sit there and say nobody's going to tell me what to do, and, and you may get away with that, but that's a lonely life. Can I tell you that? You can say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. But that's a lonely life. The reality is, if you're going to have people that love you, and people that you love, and people around you, and surround you, that care about you, then you're going to have to take into consideration their wishes and their desires. That's a form of authority. The fact is, authority is anything that either prompts us to do something or restrains us from doing something. And authority is a basic, fundamental reality of life. Go ahead, listen. Young people, older people, doesn't matter who it is. I I, I remember being a teenager and hearing people always preach about rebellion at us teenagers. And I I, I thought I thought only young people were rebellious. I started pastoring. Amen. And that'll cure you of that. That'll disabuse you of that notion. If you want to know whether adults sometimes struggle with rebellion, and they do, if you want to know whether adults sometimes struggle with authority, uh, sometime when you see somebody pulled over on the side of the road, just indulge yourself to slow down a little bit and rubberneck and look at the look on their face. And you'll find out that this thing of authority, this thing of rebellion is something, no matter if you're young or you're old, we all have to grapple with it from time to time. It's a fundamental of life. And what they were revealing here, the chief priests and elders, was that they were purporting to accept some semblance of authority. Listen, every one of us submits to some authority. 
The question is not, will we submit to authority? The question is, what authority will we submit to? There are a great many, it's always been fascinating to me to see young people that grow enamored with the idea of being peculiar or unusual because they all seem to find a way to be peculiar and unusual in precisely the same cookie-cutter manner. You know what that is? That's authority. There are social pressures, and they think that if they if they indulge whatever lifestyle it is, that, that that is some kind of semblance of them casting off authority, and yet they have authorities in their life, same as anything. If they stepped a toe out of line with what their friends think is acceptable, they'd find out about authority. They'd get ostracized, they'd get ridiculed, and they'd find out that you see all of us respect authority. It's a fundamental of life. It's not a question of whether you have authority. It's a question of what authority you're submitted to. The greatest lie the devil ever tells you is that if you'll follow him, he'll let you do what you want. The devil don't let anybody do what they want. He's far more of a taskmaster than the Lord ever has been. It's not a question of authority. You see, we find out here that authority is a fundamental. But I want you to notice something very important here in the conversation they had. Their perspective on what authority was. To them, authority was a fundamental. But notice that to them, listen carefully, authority was a force. Was a force. Think about the question they asked. By what authority do you do these things? Who permits you, Jesus, to stand up and teach? And his answer, his answer to their question is another question. He says, if you'll tell me whose authority John taught by, then I'll tell you by whose authority I teach by. Now, the Lord in his wisdom understood that this would put them in a little bit of a conundrum. They had rejected the preaching of John. They had not joined the multitudes that had been baptized in the river Jordan. In fact, it was these very men to whom John looked at them and called them a generation of vipers and said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. It was these very people that John had rebuked because they wanted to have governance over his ministry, but they did not want to acknowledge the godliness of his ministry. And he had rebuked these very same people. They had rejected the teaching of John. And yet the people took John to be a great prophet. So they couldn't just stand up and say John was a charlatan, John was a quack, John was a nut job. They couldn't just say that because the people might, the, the, one of the other gospel writers tells us that the people might have stoned them for that. Now, let me tell you something. When you accept authority, authority does two things. It restrains you and it empowers you. Had they been honest people that really believed in authority, then they would have answered however honestly they felt. They would have said, no, we believe it was of men, we believe it was of earth, we don't believe it was heavenly. But we recognize in their answer, they said, we cannot tell. It's not that they didn't have an opinion. They didn't want to voice that opinion because they were scared. They were accepting an authority. That authority was uh, delineated by two things. Are you listening carefully? We get through this, I'll do some real preaching at you, I promise. Please listen. Authority does a couple things. Authority motivates us and it meters us. Authority prompts us and pushes us to do something. Authority also prevents us and restrains us from doing things. Can I give you an example? Here in a month or two, uh, some of y'all are going to call up H&R Block and you're going to pay your taxes. And it's not because you've got too much money sitting around. You're going to do that because there's an authority that prompts you to do that. Whenever uh, you go to pay your taxes, I hope you'll be honest with them. And it will restrain you from lying or from trying to deceive the government because you recognize they have authority and they'll come in and take your money uh, and take it at gunpoint if they have to. See, authority, it motivates us. It tells us what to do and it tells us what we cannot do. What was motivating them? Well, it's apparent the thing that was motivating them was their flesh and their pride. They didn't want to accept what John said. You know why? Because it would have toppled their little kingdom. 
this idea that righteousness is vested in faith, not in the formality of the law, and that, that the authority of, of, of faith in Christ was a greater authority than their ceremonial processes. They didn't want to accept that. It would have, it would have meant a hit to their pocketbook. It would have meant a hit to their pride. They didn't want to accept that. And yet they were not willing to go so far as to declare that John was a charlatan. You know why? Because the thing that limited them was their fear. Their flesh and their fear were the parameters of their concept of authority. Listen carefully. That's how it is for most people. Most people, you know what prompts them to do what they do? They want to do it. They want to do it. I'll ask my kids sometimes that he'll do something dumb because he's like his daddy. And he'll, he'll do something dumb. He'll throw a ball. Or and I'll look at him and say, why'd you do that? And he'll just look at me. And I'll look at him. And he don't say nothing. Because he ain't got nothing good to say. And I'll say, son, why did you, why did you throw that? And he'll just look at me. And finally I'll say, you answer me. Why'd you? He said, I don't know. Or he'll say, I thought it was a good idea. You know what all that is? That's code for him saying, because I wanted to. Because I wanted to. I just wanted to do it. He's prompted. He's moved. And what we see in a very elementary, rudimentary form in his behavior is the very same thing that you see on an elevated scale in the lives of most adults. If you ask most people why they do what they do, they'd say, I do it because I want to do it. Now, somebody's going to say, well, now, preacher, there's all kinds of things in my life that I do that I don't want to do. That's true. Sometimes you're metered or restrained by fear. For instance, you get up and go to work, not necessarily, and I hope you enjoy it, but you don't do it necessarily because you enjoy it. You do it because you're afraid of starving to death. That restrains your behavior. Now imagine if you're my, in your mind, you know what that creates? That creates a perimeter for our actions. There are certain things that we're going to do, there are certain things we're not going to do. And this is how the, the, the Pharisees were. They said, well, we don't want to accept what John says because we want to make money and we want to be powerful and we want to be prominent. And we don't take this thing of religion seriously. It's just all a big game. But they could not declare that John was of men because they were afraid the people would stone them. So you know what that tells me? Uh, their concept of authority was that authority was a force. Authority to them is a gun in their back, nothing else. It's a coercing influence and nothing more. You know what that tells me? That to them, authority was a facade. If your concept of authority is governed and metered by what you can get away with and cannot get away with, listen carefully, you don't believe in authority at all. Authority is a reality of life. You're going to have to live under it. But a great many people claim either that they live with no authority. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Sure. Sure they will. If nothing else, life will tell you what to do. You know why that tends to be a trait of younger people? Because as you get older, you are reminded by the passing of time, by the degrading of your physical health, that there are some things outside of your control. You get older and you realize there's stuff you want to do that you can't do. Your mind wants to do it, but your body won't anymore. You ain't got the health, you ain't got the strength. And you lose some of that arrogance as to proclaim as though you have the world by the tail. You recognize that even life itself has an ingrained, ingrained authority about it. But to believe that authority is nothing more than just a force. It's nothing but just restraint. It's nothing but a gun in your back is not really to believe in authority at all. You may have to reckon with it, but you know what it makes you? It makes you a lawless person. You know why they did what they did? They did as much as they could get away with. No more, no less. And a great many of us are living our lives. And the only thing that governs us, the only authority in our life is how much sin we can get away with before God chastens us, how much uh, how much disobedience we can get away with before God nails us to the wall or sends a whale after us. Our concept of authority 
is polluted. So what should authority be? Listen carefully. Authority should not merely be a perimeter. It should not merely be a prevention, but it should be a path. Authority should not just be a governor or a guide, or a gate rather, it should be a guide in our lives. Authority is not given, in other words. We think of authority like we would think of a sheepdog to chase after us and to to push us back in and back in and back in. But authority ought to be meant not to keep us on the perimeters of our will, but to keep us in the dead center of God's will. Authority is not there to whip us when we do wrong. Authority is not there to push us when we don't want to do anything. Authority should be perceived as the communication of God's will to us. What is best for our lives? You know where true authority lies, and we're seeing this in the world we live in today. We're, we are increasingly living in a lawless society. Lawless society. Where people don't want to accept any concept of authority in any way whatsoever. And you know what that's leading to? It's, it's leading to an absolute decay and, and destruction of the fundamental core of how our society functions. To the point that we can't even communicate with each other anymore. You know why? Because we don't believe in authority. Authority has become nothing more than a gun in our back. When authority ought to be vested in, listen carefully, the right and worthiness of the person. You know why you accept authority? Because you believe that person is owed your allegiance. That's why you... The reason we accept the authority of God is because we believe that God's our Creator. And we belong to Him. And we owe it to Him. We owe it to Him. We owe it to Him. And also because of the wisdom and benefit of authority. You know why we accept authority in our life? Because we recognize that we don't have the wisdom to make all the decisions ourselves. That's why you accept your parents' authority. It's why you should anyways, if you're of an age that that's appropriate. Is because you believe, hey, they, they know what they're doing, right? If I listen to them, it'll go well. I, that, that ought to be why you accept the authority, spiritual influences, leaders in your life. You believe, well, they, they know the truth of the Word of God and they love me, they care about me and they're leading me, they're guiding me. It's why even in the structure of the home, there's a structure of authority and, and it ought to be that it functions appropriately because you believe that the head of the home or the leader of the home will lead appropriately. That's the ideal behind authority is that you can trust authority. Sadly, you know, a great many Christians... They forfeited the authority of God in their life for the authority of their flesh and the authority of sin and the authority of the world. And that's what led them to be lawless because they know they can't trust any of those things. And as their life continues to deteriorate, they continue to grow more and more suspicious of that authority. He teaches us here, and I've got to hasten because I want to get to the meat of it. I see here a truth about the principle of authority. Authority ought to be that we look at God and say, God is my creator, God is righteous, God is holy, and therefore He has owed my allegiance, He has owed my obedience, and I know that if I'll follow God, God will make more of my life than I can make of my life. They just saw authority as a force. But then I want you to know to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to come back and pick up the next few verses. But look down at verse 33. The Lord, Je- And by the way, can I just say this? I didn't get to it in the preaching, but that's the reason that Jesus said... Uh, I will neither tell I you by what authority I do these things because they didn't really care about authority. He wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being smart. He knew that it wouldn't matter. It was evident that John was preaching with heavenly authority and they rejected him. So a lot of times people say, well, what, what gives the Bible the right? Well, if you believe in authority at all, you ought to believe in the authority of the Bible. No other book, no other truth, no other concept, no other formulation or faith has ever led to the enriching and, and benefiting of human beings the way the Word of God has. The Word of God has an immaculate track record for changing people's lives 
and make them what God wants them to be. So we see the principle of authority. Look down in verse 33. Christ tells two parables. Notice them very quickly. Verse 33, the Bible says, here another parable. We'll go back, pick up that first parable in a second. But Jesus says, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Let's pause there. We know how this story goes. We read it just a few moments ago. We know that the husbandmen, uh, they take and they, they kill the servants and they, they kill them with increasing cruelty. And finally, the, the, the farmer, he sends his, his, his own son, the vineyard owner, he sends his own son. He says they'll respect his authority. But here was the problem. They didn't respect any authority. They were lawless individuals. So they take the son and they kill him too. Christ then puts the question to uh, these Pharisees, what is the owner of that vineyard going to do? He says, well, the owner of that vineyard is going to come. He's going to kill all them people and let it out to people that are trustworthy. You know what we have here? We have an illustration of what it is to provoke authority. You'll find out in life this, that if we try to live in a lawless manner, we don't truly become lawless. We don't truly live without restraint or without laws. All we do is provoke the authority in our lives. Can I give you a very basic illustration? I'm not suggesting anyone do this, but certainly you would learn it in a painful way if the next time you saw red and blue lights in your rear view, if you said, I'm going to run instead of stopping. You deciding to hit the gas ain't going to make the speed limit go away. All it's going to do is put more red and blue lights in your rear view mirror. And try as you may, Bonnie or Clyde, sooner or later, they're going to catch up with you. Trying to be lawless, trying to buck authority, trying to say nobody's going to tell me what to do. That doesn't make the authority go away. Instead, it brings the fury of that authority down upon you. We see the provoking of authority, the lawlessness. And notice three just simple points, and I'm mentioning them move on. Notice first off the crime of lawlessness. This vineyard did not belong to these servants. And whenever it was led out to them, it was with the expectation and anticipation that they would work this vineyard, they would share in the fruit of it, but that fruit ultimately belonged to the man that owned the vineyard. And you know what they were trying to do by bucking his authority? They were trying to steal from that man what rightfully belonged to him. They were trying to steal what rightfully belonged to them. Can I tell you what it is when we try to thwart the authority of God? When we try to tell God that He has no claim on us? We're trying to steal the fruit of His creation. I don't know if you realize this, but the breath that you breathe belongs to God. The body that you walk around in belongs to God. The the life that, that lives within you, the light that resides in you, it belongs to God. The Bible says that all things were made by Him and for Him. He's the Creator of all things, and guess what? All things belong to Him. I know we don't like to accept it, but one of these days you will reckon with it. You will accept that you belong to God. You're His. You're not your own. And can I say this to believers especially? You're bought with a price. And you're not your own. Trying to tell God He can't run your life. Trying to tell God He can't say what goes and what doesn't. Trying to tell God He has no jurisdiction in your life is no less a crime than these men's theft was. I see the crime of lawlessness. I also notice the course of lawlessness. The Bible says when the first servant came, they beat him. When the second servant came, they killed him. When the third servant came, they stoned him. Meaning they didn't just kill him, they killed him in a cruel way. Finally, when the sun comes, they take him and they cast him out humiliatingly from the vineyard and slay him. Now, of course, all this reminds us of what 
Israel as a nation would do to the Lord Jesus Christ. But can I just, can I just make a, a, a practical uh, observation? There's a progression to lawlessness. Oh my, we need to learn this in society today. There's a progression. Lawlessness, the spurning of authority, may begin in small ways, but it never ends small. It always gets worse. There are unusual scenarios and situations in society where a person may have been raised in a godly way, raised with with, with authority, raised with restraint, raised with structure, and, and grows up and just for whatever reason decides to... But most of the time, most of the time, people that wind up stealing big things got away with stealing small things. Most of the time, people that tell big lies got away with telling small lies. Most of the time, people that commit big acts of violence began committing small acts of violence. There's a progression to this thing. I like what a preacher said the other day in our prayer breakfast. He said, you won't find the word backslidden anywhere. Or he said, you won't find the word backslide anywhere in the Bible. He said, it's always backsliding. You know why? Because it never stops. If it's left unchecked, it always gets worse. It always goes further. Let me tell you something. Us parents, we need to get this, man. We need to understand that as we're raising our kids, there may be little things they do. They may seem small. They may seem cute. They may seem insignificant. But sometimes what you're seeing is a flare-up of defiance, a flare-up of their will, a bucking of any semblance of authority. We have to hold strong. We have to be willing to parent through those moments. I know it's easy to dismiss it. I know it's easy to laugh about it. I know it's easy to say it's no big deal. But let me tell you something. Little acts of defiance turn into big acts of defiance. There's a course. And let me tell you something to, to us as grown adults. If we'll buck the authority of God, then ultimately we'll buck any authority in our lives. And a life lived without authority is a lawless life, and it's a lonely life, and it's a fruitless life, and it's a miserable life. It may start in a small thing. There may be something God's dealing with you about, and you say, well, Lord, no, no, that that's for me, Lord. That's not for you. There may be something the Lord says, hey, you need to cut that out of your life. And you say, now, Lord, I'm pretty much obedient to you in all things. But this thing is not a big deal. Can I remind you, the whole reason that Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt was because Lot refused to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, let me go to the plain city of Zoar. He said, it's just a little one. He said, it's just a little city. It's not a big city. Let me go just a little one. And if he had been in the mountains where God wanted him to be, if he had subjected himself to the authority of God and gone where God told him to go, his wife couldn't have seen the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was from that plain city of Zoar that she cast a backward look and he lost his wife. I think there is a fair, uh, I think there's a fair argument to be made that if he hadn't lost his wife, the ugliness, the rottenness, the perversion that happened with his daughters probably would have never happened. I think that there's a plain argument to be made that because he chose the little plain city of Zoar, the last opportunity Lot had to rescue what was left of his family was lost. It's just a little one. By the way, you know, a lot of times we buck the authority of God. He'll let us, he'll let us go to that little plain city. Because he's not interested in having a bunch of automatons, a bunch of people. Uh, listen, if he wants, if he wants creatures with no will to worship him, he's got multitudes of angels. He wants us to choose him. So I, I see the course of lawlessness. And then I see the consequence of it. Jesus said, what, what's he going to do to those men? said, uh, he's going to destroy those men. There will come a day when the authority will be bowed to. It's just a question of when. A lawless life always leads to destruction. It always leads to destruction. It always leads to pain. It always leads to suffering. It always leads to sorrow and to heartache. 
You want to find out what happens when the authority finally exerts itself? Go down. You, you can walk through the penitentiary and see men that when they were young said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Now people tell them when to go to the bathroom. People tell them when to eat. People tell them when to go to sleep. People tell them when to wake up. People tell them what to do day in, day out. They don't choose what clothes they wear. They don't choose what shoes go on their feet. Authority will win out. It will win out. You say, preacher, are you saying everybody that, uh, that, that tries to go their own way is going to wind up like them? No, I'm saying you're going to wind up worse. That's the authority of the state. But there's a higher authority we answer to. There's a higher authority. Uh, they said, he's going to destroy those men. And the Lord said, that's exactly right. Their destruction, their fall will be great. Well, I see here the provoking of authority. But then I want you to notice something very quickly, and we must hasten. There's food over there. Uh, Jim shouldn't have told you. Now you ain't going to listen to nothing I say. Notice what the Lord Jesus says. Verse number 42. Verse 41, they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. He'll find somebody that will listen to his authority. There'll be destruction, and then there'll be compliance. Look what he says in verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to power. Now there's a great application here that relates to Israel as a nation. But can I just say this, that here the Lord deals with the person of authority. Who is the person that holds the scepter? Who is the person that holds the authority? Again, the question is not, is there authority or is there not authority? The question is twofold. One, whose authority are you going to be subjected unto? And two, who ultimately will have the ultimate authority over all those secondary authorities? That's what the Lord reveals here. Notice, first off, I like this, the revelation of this person. Who does he call the stone upon which uh, men will be either broken or ground to powder? Who, who does he call the head of the corner, the authority? He said, did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? We see the revelation of this person. Who is it that has the ultimate authority? Well, the book of Acts tells us who this is. The Lord does not mention His own name here. But other men in Scripture revealed to us that, in fact, it was the Lord Jesus. In Acts 4.10-12, uh, uh, Peter speaking says, Be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter himself says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, which they rejected, whose authority they spurned, which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You say, who is that? In verse number 5, Peter said, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this, at the end of the day, the authority of God vested in Christ is supreme. 
we see the revelation of this person. Notice the realm of this person. The Lord said to him, Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school this morning, but the kingdom of heaven refers to the physical, visible, earthly kingdom uh, that's going to be set up on heaven or on earth, excuse me, during the millennial reign. But the kingdom of God references the jurisdiction of God and the benefits that are procured thereby. In other words, when you own God's authority and receive blessing from it by doing so. The kingdom of God refers to those that God effectually, experientially governs over. There's a lot of folks in here in the state of Tennessee that are under the authority of the state of Tennessee, but they don't live like it. They don't act like it. Uh, they act as though they're lawless. Well, there are a lot of people that at the end of the day, they're going to bow the knee before God, but it'd be far better if they'd uh, subject themselves to His authority now, be made a part of the kingdom of God, enjoy salvation and eternal life and the blessings that flow from it. We see the realm of this person. He's the one that has authority. Listen, it's His heaven. He decides who goes and who don't. We can create our little idols. We can build our little systems. But at the end of the day, it's God's heaven. And you better find out how He says you can get there. This is revealed in John chapter 5. Let me read this to you. It's just a few verses. Verse 22, Jesus said, The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. There's a lot of folks that say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Jesus calls you a liar if you say that. He says that's not true. You can't, you can't know God without knowing Christ. Uh, they that come, uh, uh, the Bible says, I'm the way, Christ said, and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. You say, well, I think I know God. Well, you might know a false God. But you don't know God unless you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He said in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's being made a part of the kingdom of God. Getting born again, being saved by the grace of God, being a new creature in Christ Jesus, enjoying eternal life. Well, who is it that decides that? It's the Son. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. I'm saying if you if you don't bow yourself before the Son of God, don't expect to get into God's heaven. Don't expect to partake in God's salvation. Salvation only comes through the Son. You said, I'll appeal to God. God would say, I've done given all authority and all judgment to the Son. He's the one that decides. You say, preacher, can I be a part of it? Oh, sure. He said, any that come unto me, I'll in no wise cast out. But you've got to come to Him. You've got to believe on Him. You've got to own His authority. You've got to accept His governance. I see in this passage the realm of this person. Verse 44, boy, this is hard scripture. It says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to power. The difference being the difference between a foundation stone and a cornerstone. See, that foundation stone can't fall on you. It's beneath you. By the same token, you can't fall on that head of the corner. It's above you. So the question is this, are you going to accept Him as the foundation, as the authority of your life, or are you going to reject Him and Him be the falling, the crushing, the grinding authority in your life? One of the two. I see the reckoning. You know, there's no room left there. You still with me? There's no room left there 
for avoiding Him. You're either going to fall on Him and be broken. You say, broken how? Your will broken. And bent to His will. Own His authority. And ask Him to forgive you and save you. Be broken of your sin and over your sin. Broken of your will and broken over your will. Or it's going to fall upon you. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter number 2. He describes it pretty well. He says, verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, Jesus, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee. Re- reach down, grab both your knees. Right now, put your hand on both your knees. Every knee. Those knees. My knees, your knees. Every knee. If it's not every knee, God's a liar. If it's not every knee, John 3.16 is a lie. If it's not every knee, listen, if it's not every knee, Genesis 1.1 is a lie. If it's not every knee, you're going to have to explain to me how God saved me by keeping His promises. You're going to have to tell me God, if it's not every knee, then God's a liar. Every knee. Every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. I see the reckoning of this person. You listen and listen well. You may say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Oh, yes. Yes. You can shake your fist at the heavens. You can curse God's name. You, you can, you can uh, pledge your own autonomy. You can swear nobody's going to tell me what to do. But sooner or later, that knee's going to bow. The question is not, is it going to bow? The question is, when is it going to bow and how is it going to bow? going to bow now in contrition and repentance? Or is it going to bow one day when it's brought into subjugation before you're cast into a lake of fire? That knee will bow. I see the person of authority. Back up a little bit. Notice this little parable he mentions. Because it teaches us an important truth. I ain't even going to preach it. I'm just going to read it and we'll move on. We'll close. But the first parable he teaches says this, verse 28. But what think ye? certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. He came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They said unto him, The first. Now notice what Jesus says unto them. Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, later on, he's going to say the kingdom of God is entered by those that own the authority of God's Son. Those that bow the knee before that disallowed stone and make Him the head of the corner in their lives. That's who goes into the kingdom of God. Here he says the publicans and the harlots, they go into the kingdom of God before you. And this is why. He said, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. It seems apparent to me that the publicans and harlots, the, the, the manifestly unrighteous, are the ones that are described as being that first son, who say, I'm not going to go. Then they bow to the Father's authority, and they say, okay, I will go. And the Pharisees are those that from the outset said, oh yes, they had an outward, manifest, visible appearance of obedience. But the problem was they never did go. They never accepted it. They never believed in it. They never repented of it. And Christ says, you know, if you were in that situation, it'd be better to be the first son than the second son. It'd be better to be one of those publicans or harlots that may have lived a life of lawlessness 
purported lawlessness. But they did ultimately, eventually, accept the authority of God and bow the knee and say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. And accept the authority of God. Then to be those that pretend to accept that authority, all the while letting their own authority be the directing rule in their lives. You know what I find in this passage? I'm just going to mention it in close. I see the patience of authority. I find this, that if a man lives a lawless life and rejects the authority of God, it'll bring about a swift destruction. It's what Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be destroyed, and that without remedy. If you buck against the authority of God in your life, and if you die in that condition, you'll die in your sins and go to hell. But that don't mean just because you have been lawless, doesn't mean you have to stay lawless. Just because you have said, no, Lord, you're not going to tell me what to do. That don't mean you have to end your life that way. I see that authority, though it punishes, it's also patient. God tries to give every opportunity. Three things I see here. One, I see that this patience, it's born of love. So what do you mean, preacher? A certain man had two sons. Why did he tell them to go and work in that vineyard? Because they were raising crops for their inheritance. They were raising crops for their own financial well-being. They were building the home that would one day be theirs. You know, we know this as parents. We wish we'd get our kids to understand that the things that we tell them to do, we're doing for their own good. For their own good. Can I tell you something? My idea of a fun day is not to get in a knockdown, drag out argument with my little boy and have to threaten to do everything in the world except throw him off of a cliff to get him to obey. That's not my idea of a, of a fun day. You know what would be a lot more fun? Yeah, have a little more ice cream, son. Go, yeah, you want to play with the steak knives? There's a drawer full of them in there. Go have fun with them. You want some matches to go along with it? Do anything you want. I'll be your best friend. Some people parent that way. But, you know, we can't do that. You know why? Because we know what's best for them and we want what's best for them. You know, anybody that loves their kids, sometimes it's hard to discipline them. You don't want to discipline them. That's not why you had them. You could have found a dog to beat. But you do it because you love them. And that patience is born of love. You know why God tries to exert His authority in your life? It ain't because He hates you. It's because He loves you. He wants your life to be the best it can. I see that that patience, it's, it's born of love. I see that it bears long. God could have destroyed you right away. But He was patient. He was long-suffering. I, I love what Peter says about this. I think this is a good perspective. It says that we're to account the long-suffering of our Lord's salvation. In 2 Peter 3.15. In 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some people take it as though God not exerting His force in their life means that He's weak or uninterested. No, what it means is He's patient. He doesn't want to grind you to powder. He's waiting for you to be broken. He's waiting for you to own His authority. I see that it's that it bears long, but I do notice this. This patient, patience is but limited. What eventually happens to those that did not own the authority of God? Well, eventually they, in these parables, are destroyed. There's a limit to his patience. You say, preacher, what is that limit in our lives? Well, it can be any number of... I I do believe there's people that God judges and and, and I believe there's people the chastening hand of God is upon them. But can I just tell you this? If you're here under the sound of my voice and the Holy Ghost is dealing with your heart, 
And God's trying to bend you to His authority. And God's trying to break you to His will. And God's trying to get you to realize you can't do this thing on your own. And you need Him. And if you keep going this way, you're going to die in your sins. Then it's not too late. There'll come a day it will be. There'll come a day it will be. But today's not that day. You you know, the Hebrews writer said, call on Him while it is called today. While you have the opportunity today. You don't have to live trying to buck the authority of God. You know what you'll find? If you'll let Him have the authority in your life, you'll have more freedom under His authority than you've got under your lawlessness. Hey, if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. The greatest thing the devil can tell you is, is the lie that if you'll, if you'll spurn the authority of God that you'll have freedom. You don't have freedom. You just become a slave to your own uh, passions and your own sins. Go, you can walk down Skid Row and see a, a, a million people who can show you that sin exerts its own form of authority. But if you'll own His authority, guess what? You'll find out that His yoke is easy. His burden's light. His freedom's too, true freedom. There's no one as free as a child of God. As a child of God. Let's bow together this morning. Uh, I don't know what God may have dealt with you about. I think probably in a room this size, most folks know the Lord and are saved already, although I do not know anyone's heart. But there may be some folks that God's been dealing with you about some areas of your life, about some places where you've not wanted to yield to His authority, where you've not wanted to let Him have His way. If that's you, why don't you this morning wave the white flag, bow the knee before Him, say, Lord, you can have your will, your way. Hey, we ought not be, the psalmist said, we ought not be as the horse that has to be led with bit and bridle. Authority ought not be a gun in our back. It ought to be a God at our head leading us, guiding us, directing us. Why don't we own the authority of God this morning? Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. All judgments committed unto Him, may it glorify Him. We ask it in Jesus' name.